Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. And that is Luke chapter 2. So is maybe you want to turn there while I pray or wait till after. Let's go to the Father and ask him to bless this time. Lord, what a great reminder. Truly, as you came as a babe, wrapped in flesh, now to be among us, to fulfill your call and purpose, the gospel, the good news, coming and dying for us in our place, to be resurrected, Lord, to also with that promise now we can live our lives in confidence by your spirit leading us to serve and to surrender just like you did. That would be our heart for gathering here this morning. Lord, and if anybody's not aware of that, may the verses we go over today truly show them your eternal purpose and plan for their life. As we all, Lord, have um, have come to realize this world is going to end in death for every one of us here. And yet, in you, there is no death. It is a moment of a transfer from one residence to another. And Lord, for your glory is what we want to do now in preparing ourselves for that transformation, that moving, if you will. And so, Lord, may um, you just bless this time as we study and gather together in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Oh, okay. I do have notes because I do not ad lib this. All right, as I do the, in, the sometimes the announcements. So, Luke chapter two. Uh, again, a scripture we're all really familiar with, one that I've probably read more in my life than any other because after being a pastor for so many years, you do read this at Christmas time and go through it, but a little bit different today because it's not Christmas and yet it absolutely is applicable to our lives. Now, Austin, Pastor Austin did a great job of kind of um, ending us in chapter one uh, last time with John the Baptist, John the Baptist, his birth how he came forth, um, how God had, you know, ordained all that. And I'm not going to pick up and review really any of that at all because we're going to pick up on John's life in chapter 3 again and where his ministry really comes to life and what he was called and what he did here and how that all works out. So that's chapter 3. So we don't need to really touch on that. But I do want to pick up just the one verse, the last verse, verse 80, because it does have to do with where we're going today. And my first... um, I guess you'd say the you know, observation and application that we have out of today's scriptures for our life. So if you look back at chapter 1, verse 80, so the child, and that's speaking of J the B, grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John the Baptist born, he's all set now, but there takes that time now of growing up And look, he becomes strong in spirit and he was in the desert till the day of his manifestation. So that's the first thing I just want to show. Manifestation just means public showing. Like when God revealed, like this is John the Baptist now and this is what he's going to do for my kingdom, for my purposes, right? John, Moses, Joseph, Jesus, you and I all have a time or will have a time, if you haven't yet, of being in the desert. Now, this is not the same as like a wilderness where God is taking you something. Maybe there's a little of correction or readjustment in your life, but a desert time when he is growing you, preparing you, maturing you, me, you know, I'm always pointing at myself here, but a, a time when he is taking you through a preparation for the calling he has for your life, what he's going to do with you. And we all have one. Scripture clearly teaches us that, right? That as we come into a life now with God, our life has been purchased with a price. It was his son's blood. And now what we do is what he would like us to do. We surrender that because we understand that Jesus came and surrendered his all to rescue us, to save us, to draw us out of absolute death to now eternal life. So... We give that life, right? That, and so we're talking, John is about 30 plus years at the end of that, as we're going to pick him up in, in chapter three, right? That he's been going through this. And of course, Jesus, the same thing too. He's going to be in his 30s as God calls him out. But I just want to point out how it takes time 
for God to prepare us for what he has for us. Now, sometimes some people maybe get that that calling in that inspiration immediately, but the maturing process and the preparation not only takes time in our life, but God also needing time to prepare who and where and the place of his calling to be manifested to. So it's not just about me and what I need to go through, but also where he's taking me to be in that place where he will then manifest his power, his presence through me to the people, the places, the situations that he's called me to be a part of. So he's orchestrating all this. Omnipotence, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, right? This is God, all-present, all the time, in all we do, everywhere. It so helps to walk through this life understanding that because of how things can hit us and affect us and other people deal with us. And we get in those, what the, you know, moments. And to understand that God has ordained all of these times in our lives. And, and all of us are responsible for, I guess, this eternal purpose that we have. And, and given that we will receive eternal reward. But we all go through these things. The, the, the giftings and the calling, the, um, the preparation... 2 Corinthians 5.18 shares it. Acts 22.14.15 shares it. 1 Peter 4.10 shares it. We've been given gifts. We've been given purpose here. And it's God's purpose. And obviously, sometimes it, it takes him more time than others. But we are all on this journey to be used. So don't get impatient. Don't grow weary in doing good. The scripture warns us. Because if we don't, in due season, what does it say? We will reap if we don't grow weary. If we don't, and that actually means, in in the Greek when he's talking about not growing weary, it actually means don't kick back. Don't do a thing and then go, well, I guess I'm done now. I can just settle back and relax. No, it's actually warning us not to do that, to keep moving forward always with the Lord. And so that we see that in, in the scriptures today. You know, as I was going through this and trying to see the theme and, you know, we've agreed that we want Jesus to really come forward in this. And of course, I get the easiest chapter at all because he's being born today, right? But it isn't just that he was born. It was also that he comes in the fullness as does John and grows up in the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that as a believer in Christ now dwells in me, in you, leads us, guides us, protects us, empowers us, and purposes us through God's word teaching us what he has for us. So intimacy, interaction all the time. This is what he is. And and always trying to create that idea of Christ-likeness in us. That's what it is. It's not about me showing off. It's about me actually getting more like-minded with Christ, the humbleness that he came, emptying himself, never of his deity, but of all the privilege and access of a throne in heaven to take himself, wrap himself in flesh, and subject himself to this world so that in every way he knows what you are going through. He went through it also. Now with him, the temptation came without sin. Jesus never took the low road. We know we don't have that same option. So the only option we have for perfection and the righteousness of God to stand before him and with him is to be by faith in Christ Jesus, right? Because of God's grace offered to us then to make us that way. So that's where we pick up. That's where we start. As we go, chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, or census, right? This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. See, we all have those Christmas memories now. We're all going to, and that's okay, right? 
just want to point out now, in those days, so again, now this is the perfect timing for this manifestation, for Jesus to be born at this moment and to come into this world. And God knows, right? It was a time in the Roman Empire's power and authority that they were complete. There was no war going on. It was a time of peace. They were in absolute power. They had built roads to all the providences, all the nations, all the lands they had conquered. So the idea of travel and communication was prime. It had never been this good before. We can go anywhere. We can do anything because our government controls everything. And so these were the people. This was the, this was the situation that Jesus was born into. Now, Caesar Augustus is an interesting guy. His real name is Caius Octavian. He was adopted by Julius Caesar, who was actually, you know, his uncle, right? And when his uncle, Julius Caesar, was murdered, well, Caesar Augustus took up the, the, the throne, the place, right? But the, the Roman government wanted to give him a little bit more juice than just another Caesar. Because Caesar means like um, king, you know, ruler. So they wanted to give him a little something more. And so they came up with this name, Augustus, which literally means godlike or divine. This is, he is the first one now that has this idea of Caesar is God. And you remember that was a big conflict for the Christians who every once a year you were supposed to put a little pinch of incense into the, the fires before the government and say like, you know, Caesar is Lord and you were supposed to proclaim him God. And Christians got up there and they're like, mm, can't really do that because I know, I really know who God is and it ain't him. And, and so that's where the Christians then started to suffer the persecution and get literally, yep, eaten by lions and ripped in two by horses and the persecution that they went through. This is what gave Nero such ultimate authority in being able to light Christians on fire to light his gardens at night, you know, tar them up and set them on fire because he was an absolute divine ruler as far as the government's concerned of the, you know, the people of Rome. So that's where all this perversion started. Now, Caesar Augustus actually was a very brilliant guy. From what I understand, I mean, he's the one that brought the peace, conquered the enemies, right? He was a great administrator, builder, did all these roads, and he brought the wealth of Egypt when he conquered Egypt back to Rome. So he was the guy, literally, that did rule the world. And when it says here, it talks about the world, it's talking about the known world at that time, or the, the civilized world, which would be the Roman government. There was no world beyond that. And any world that was known was led by this man. So, I mean, you think about the, just the power we have in America with our president. This guy has ultimate president, presidency for the world, the whole world, right? That's why he has the power to call for the whole world, as is known, to be registered. He wants account of the people. And why is that? Because to count, and we talked about this on Wednesday night with how God was setting up the whole temple practice and everything with the priests, to count something means you own it. You don't get a right to count it unless you own it, like that's mine, right? And so he was going to count the people because he owned them. And why was he going to count them? Because he wanted to know how much taxes he could pull from every one of them. The government hasn't changed much, right? That's the, he's, he's doing the same thing, right? So anyway, he could do this, and, and two things I want to point out about the facts of what the scripture are teaching us today. One is, they're facts. This is historical. This is all documented. They have the, the tablets, they have the writings, they can prove the census went out, that people's names were taken down uh, under Caesar Augustus. It, it's all written down literally as a historical fact, which means Jesus, yeah, is a historical fact. And this all taking place is absolutely what needed to happen. Now, that's the second thing I want to point out. See, Caesar Augustus has been given all this power, all this juice. He reigns supreme. He can say this and everybody jumps, everybody moves. Wow. Now, let me share with you another reality. In fact, 700 years before this, God told one of his prophets... Micah, to write this. You, Bethlehem, Ephrata, through you, though you are little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, capital O-N-E, 
the one to rule in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. God told Israel, my prophet, my Messiah, the ruler of Israel, is going to come out of Bethlehem. 700 years before, this guy who thinks he's ruling the world is now saying, I want everybody to go home to where they came from so we can count heads. Which meant Joseph and Mary, both being of David's lineage, that's what makes it legit, because Joseph had been disqualified from what one of his ancestors had once done, but Mary wasn't. She literally came from Nathan's line. And so they're both of the house of David, so they both have to go back to Bethlehem. And that's exactly where 700 years before, God said, I'm going to have a virgin, and she's going to have my child, and I need her to go to Bethlehem. So I'm going to use the ruler of the world at that time to make it happen. See, and I, and I just point this out because you need to understand that it doesn't happen without God ordaining it to happen. He is outside of time. He's not functioning in our little world, and yet he can in every way cause for this day, for this moment, for you to be right here hearing this message because only he knows why you need to hear it, why I prepared it the way I did, and what elements in it stuck out to me the way they did as I went through it. you got to believe that. You're here for such a time as this in your life with him. Right? That's how we, it all comes together. So all this to say, God is in control. He is directing this whole book of Acts that we still keep walking in. Because it, go, it goes on by the acts of his Holy Spirit, right? He's, you know, this guy thinks he's got ultimate power and all he is is, and, and I hate to use this word, but it makes it easy to just communicate it, right? He's a puppet. Now, that's not to say that God forces him to do whatever God wants him to do. Because then he would have no free will. Then God doesn't allow us to make choice. It's just all, he's just forcing us to do whatever he wants. And think, Well, no, that's not what scripture says. And there'd be nothing godly about that, right? Because then if God just forces us to do whatever he wants, how could he judge us for the things that we do that are wrong that he forced us to do? He wouldn't be a just God. So we have to have a free will. Judas, good example. It didn't go so well for him. Did God force Judas to betray Jesus so he could send him to hell? No, but God outside of time, God knowing all things, knew the choices Judas would make and allowed them to make them for his plan, God's ultimate plan to be fulfilled in his Messiah. I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. You shouldn't be able to. He's God. His ways are not our ways. If we could figure him out, he wouldn't be God. We'd be going, I can be God. I got this. I can figure it. No, this is what's going on here. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is, like the, is, is in the hand of the Lord like waters of river. He turns it wherever he wishes. God, that's why prayer is so important. God can move the stream of flow of somebody's heart and where they're thinking and what they're doing, that it would accomplish, come right into the ocean of his plan for this life. Please keep that in mind, right? I love how Micah specifically says that God's plan was for everlasting. Everlasting. means that before the foundations of the world, God had this all figured out. And that's really a human term that I use because God didn't have to figure nothing out. He is all-knowing, and he always knew it, right? But he also always knew it about you. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 8, 9, and 10 because it all brings it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, works lest anyone should boast. We don't get to do stuff to get us to heaven because if we did, we'd get to heaven and we'd go, well, I don't know what you did, but I know I did this for God. Yeah, that's why I'm here. No, it's what he has done for us, giving us grace, unmerited favor because of our faith now in Christ. It is a gift from him. We cannot earn it. That's what unmerited means. That's what grace is, right? But he goes on now in verse 10 to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, so in Christ, we are now this new workmanship that he has for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, what's, what's beforehand? It's 
everlasting. Before it ever was, God knew you, he called you, he wants you, and he has a purpose for you. And every believer in here should know that. Feel confident, comfortable with that. Now, we have to struggle with the idea of this world tempting us and our flesh um, demanding of us that it be satisfied before we would surrender to the will of God. But what I see in this scripture, in this chapter today, is all about submission to the Holy Spirit. These people are all being moved and, and, and used and taught. And God is got a plan for every one of us just like this, right? And you might think, well, it's just little old me. You know, I'm no John the Baptist. You think John the Baptist thought that he was going to do anything so great? Go out in the wilderness. I want you to dress like this. I want you to eat like this. And I want you to have this message on your mouth. That's not really what I was thinking. Right? And yet Jesus says he, John, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. You, all the books of the Old Testament, all these prophets that, that wrote what God was going to do, so when God did it, we could all look and go, oh, that's God, because he already said he was going to do it. All those prophets were written, and yet Jesus said John was the greatest of them all, because he got to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. His whole life was just to proclaim that, to prepare the way of the one that God was sending. Amazing. Who, what, where is that place for you to be engaged? All of us have it. I mean, look at the extent of what he's going through with having this world ruler proclaim this and then Joseph having to go to his wife because God always dealt with Joseph. After that first initial speaking to Mary, after their betrothed band, it's all about what he's going to lead Joseph now to do with his family, right? Can you imagine Kendra, Derek coming to you a couple weeks ago and, babe, we're going to Bethlehem. You know, now she's nine months pregnant. Now, again, keep it in context. We're going to ride a donkey. Well, at least she is. I'll probably walk next to it, right? It's 90 miles. So that's here from to here to Browning. And so it's going to take a couple days. But we need to do this because God says so. Well, actually, the emperor said so. So, and I only point that out because there was no appeal process. There was like protest. There was no, can I get exempt from this? Kind of big here. Nothing. It was like, you're going. Why? Because the authority of this world that will take your life in the blink of an eye has said we have to do it. And yet, it was God's plan all the time to fulfill what he had said 700 years before what he already had written down so that we would look at it and go, oh, that's God, right? That's why, again, we're studying this. So just to point out, right, that there is inconvenience or awkwardness or downright, you gotta be kidding me, that happens in our lives because it's ordained by God beforehand, everlasting, to walk in because of where he's taking you and me and the people around us who he's put us in connection with. This is, I mean, Jesus is coming so that the sins of the world can be forgiven. This is God's eternal plan. You know, I just love this. In, in my devotion time this morning, this is just a section of what it said. Satan will try to convince you that obedience carries much too high a price, but he will never tell you the cost of not obeying God. If you are to be used for, in God's service, you must expect to make adjustments in your life. Can you measure the distance between the throne room of heaven and a cattle shed in Bethlehem? How far it is from the lordship of the universe to the cross? Don't be deceived into thinking there is no cost involved in obedience. What adjustment is God asking you to make? Will you face the hardships and opposition that will come when you align your life with God's will. Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, right? Because he kept sharing and sharing and sharing. Everybody kept going, yeah. Jeremiah had a deep satisfaction, the deep satisfaction of knowing he was a faithful and beloved servant of God. Your reward will be the same when you choose to fully obey Christ regardless of the cost. See, we live in a comfort zone here in America. 
And we're always, well, I don't know. Today, mm, I don't know. That, eh. based on how it affects us and what it does for us. And again, here's Mary being said, you need to get on a donkey and go. And there's no other option because God's calling for it. What's he asking of you? Me. Just something to consider, right? Because our whole faith, our God, is a God of prophecy, is a God of foretelling. Well, actually, now it's foretelling because we, we have the, the, the fullness, right? We got the message before us. But he built everything on what he would say and then he would accomplish. In fact, in Isaiah 44, he actually challenges other gods. He goes, hey, anybody else out there want to tell me what you're going to do and then do it? <laughs> Didn't think so, right? Because there is no other God that can do that. Now, there's lots of other gods. There's lots of other focuses, distractions that we can put into our lives. But nobody has what he has. That's why it always amazes me that people's like, hey, did you read your horoscope? I mean, like, I know, okay, I'm old school, all right? So I still work with people in, in, back in Chicago when I go back in school. And there's, they're old school like me, right? Like, but I'm born again, so I got a different school now that I go to. But they'll still be like, what's your sign? I'm like, seriously? You are, like, club days, 1977. You know, it's like, how far are you? You know, and that's where they're going to go to. And it's, but there's still people that consider those things. And... And I have an intimacy with the creator of the universe that speaks by his spirit in a still small voice to my heart and tells me through his word of confirmation where to go and how to go and who to go to. Wow. And yet I, I, I want to read a fortune cookie that says, you're going to take a journey soon and it will be interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then I go to my flesh and go, where's Pastor Mike going to send me? And he's like, we're not going really anywhere, okay? You need to... It's, it's, it's crazy, right? Anyway, this whole thing is being orchestrated. The incarnation as it's known, God wrapping himself in flesh and coming down so that he can dwell among us. Emmanuel, one of Jesus' names, right? He's the firstborn son, note, specifically points that out because Mark 3.32 shares with us that there were other children. He had brothers and sisters. Jesus did. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had other kids. Now, she didn't have them until after Jesus. Matthew 1, 24 and 25, chapter 1, 24, 25, tells us that Joseph didn't know her until after Jesus. So let's get this all done with. Let's get God's plan done. And then we can have some other kids. That's how it went down, right? It's she is the betrothed wife, which means they hadn't consummated the marriage yet, but in every way they were married, which makes Jesus, of course, totally legitimate because he's married in God's eyes. They, Joseph and Mary are married. And yet they hadn't come together. In fact, to separate at this point, they would have to get a divorce. This is the culture. This is everything that had been put into place for such a time as this. So it makes Jesus' coming absolutely righteous, Right? Now, rumors spread. People are going to talk, but this is God's plan, right? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes after he was born, which means she was alone. She was doing it on her own. No midwives, no help, which would have been common in that day. You know, somebody receives the baby, wraps the baby up and everything, get a little bit of help there. No, she's alone in a cave, probably. We have sanitized this picture so much in our westernized Christmas culture, it's crazy. She puts him right in a manger, which is literally a feeding trough. Come and visit Pottersfield Ranch. We will show you the cleanliness of a feeding trough. Now, I guarantee you our feeding troughs are as clean as they can be, but I ain't putting my newborn baby in one, you know? And again, she's got no... She, this is not Northwest North Valley, you know, hospital. When... I mean, when my girls had their babies over, when Carly and Rihanna, you know, they had their babies over at Northwest, North Valley, right, hospital? They didn't want to leave. Like, the hospital literally has to come in and go, all right, now you have to go home tomorrow. It's over, lady. You know, because they're like, can I have some more cappuccino with my latte and my, you know, whatever. It's just crazy with that hospital, how they cater to you, right? They're service-based, you know, so client-based and something. But anyway... We, we just got to get past all of this stuff that we have in our minds because obviously, too, it wasn't December 25th. It wasn't Christmas. 
time that we celebrate it. That all came into play when Constantine wanted to kind of evoke Christianity as the national religion, you know, this um, emperor-pope guy, and and he didn't want to, like, make the pagans all feel bad, so he said, well, let's just take their holidays and kind of make them our holidays. And so that was the winter solstice time. Saturnalia was celebrated, the, you know, the changing of the seasons, and so he says, well, let's just celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th. I say, well, Steve, you're crushing my whole, like, understanding of everything I've ever been. No, it's not that serious. We should be celebrating the birth of Jesus every day. The fact that he came made the gospel possible for him to complete it, to die. It's like Paul says, you know, in Corinthians 11, that as we celebrate communion, that we're celebrating his death, we proclaim his death until the day he comes back, you know, until that moment when we see him again. Well, he couldn't have died if he wasn't born. And so it's a celebration, right? But it's not December 25th because that would have been winter and there wouldn't have been shepherds, which we're going to hear about next, that were out in a field taking care of sheep because it would have been too cold and they wouldn't have been going for it, right? It was more likely probably October because as God usually likes to line things up with his Jewish holidays, like Jesus being crucified on Passover, the Passover lamb, being crucified, Jesus being the lamb, right, that came to save the world, absolutely. Or Pentecost, when his church was born and the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost being at 50 days after. And, and so that celebration of the first fruits, so the fruit of the church coming forth. So people say that, you know, it's probably around the Feast of Trumpets or the proclamation of when the law was delivered. Now, when I say the law, I don't mean all the law figured out. I mean the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. The trumpets blew and the law was given. And, you know, so people are saying, you know, that's probably when it happened, maybe around October, you know, Rosh Hashanah, the, you know, the, the Day of Atonement. Could be. Doesn't matter. We're just celebrating that we know Jesus and, of course, he's always knowing us, but that we get to walk in this goodness, Right. Of relationship. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. This would be a freak out moment, right? All this happening. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Everybody's hearing Linus's voice do that right now, aren't you? I know you right? For there was born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Those are more angels, like lots of angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards man. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which were told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Wow, what a scene, right? So awesome. So again, shepherd's not going to be out there in the middle of winter, but these are, again, believed, this is tradition, says that these were the temple shepherds. Well, who are the temple shepherds? Those are the shepherds that actually kept the flocks that were used in the sacrifices in the temple. Because, you know, the sheep had to be without blemish and spotless. And so these guys had a pretty potent job, right? Now, tradition says that, but it, 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 it would be kind of a great truth, right? If it was true, because these were the guys that watched the lambs to be perfect. So who better for God to reveal his now spotless, blameless, blemish lamb of God to than the guys who knew what to look for? God reveals it to them and they go running into town. To, let's, let's go see this thing, right? I love that. That, you know, just that God confirming right away in his process, in his way that he'd already set up, again, this is who I've sent, 
Now, when Janice and I were in Israel a couple years ago, we couldn't go to Bethlehem because it's kind of a shady area nowadays. I know it's, all, it's hard to imagine that, but even in the tour situation, like where a tour bus pulls in, it, it was too shady for us to go to. But they did take us up on a ridge, and so there's Bethlehem down there, you know, in the valley. But what was cool is that we were on the ridge that overlooked the fields where these shepherds were. And I got to tell you, out of all the stuff that you see in Israel, I mean, the, the empty tomb is good, and, and, you know, Golgotha is cool. You know, you can see the skull and there's a bus parking lot right there. And you're kind of like trying to wrap your head around it. But when they took us out in the wilderness and there was the field where the shepherds were, I don't know, just for me to imagine this is where the heavens ripped open and the angels proclaimed him. That's what made it real for me. This is where God showed up in force to proclaim the birth of his son. That, that was just my moment, you know, over there. But it, it's there, and, it's, and the angels were there, and they were singing to the lowest working class people in the culture. Shepherds were like the, ew, really? That's who they were in the culture. Because they were, they were a, a bag of on bunch of guys that lived out in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep, and... It just wasn't a pretty picture. It wasn't civilized to them. And so always kind of looked down on. And yet here God is revealing good tidings, which is the gospel. And please note, the gospel came to all people. We were always part of the plan. All people, the Gentiles. Sorry, that's me. Maybe you've got some Jewish heritage, but I don't. And note that he came a savior. Not that he's coming to become the Savior. He came as Savior, a Savior, the Savior, Jesus, the one that he talked about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, John 1, 1. Jump down a couple verses to 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the child Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 9 that would come and the government would be upon his shoulders, meaning that he will carry it all, he will do it all, and in the end, he will be our all in all because he is the anointed one, the chosen one. That's what Messiah means. God's sending him, right? This will be a sign to you. Go, find him, look at him, see him. This is proof. What I've just said I now confirm. And the shepherds ran in. I love how it says, and they went with haste. You know, it's like when God speaks to you, you got two options. Go with haste. Do what he says. Say what he's told you to say. Go see what he's told you to see. Be sensitive to his spirit saying to you and go with haste. Either that or as Mary did, ponder it. Does it become something that you share? It's not just about God speaking to us. It is what we do with what he says to us, right? And for Mary, she pondered it. The word ponder in the Greek, it means to throw together alongside an attempt to comprehend. This is connecting dots. Sometimes God shows you, he says to you, he reveals to you, so you connect a dot and go, oh, now that makes sense, right? And then other times, he reveals something to you and you just, you got to go. It's now. Go. I want you to see this thing. But again, it's not just about his calling. It's about the perfect timing of his calling. That manifestation moment that he's looking to do with each one of our lives. And that happens all the time daily. It also happens big picture in our lives with the call on our lives. So how you understand it, how you see it, you got to just be sensitive to what he's saying to you. But no, they go in, they share it, and all the people that heard it marveled at these things. I'm sure some of them believed, but I'm sure probably some of them didn't because it was a bunch of ratty old guys coming off the field that were saying that God just opened the heavens and sang to them with angels. By faith, he is pleased with us, right? When we act upon what he actually says and what he, what he shows us. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, 
His name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's what, remember when Gabriel came, gave Mary the whole story. This is what it's going to be. This is what you're going to call him, Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to be among his people. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You could also offer a lamb if you could afford it, but obviously Joseph and Mary couldn't have. So I don't know, carpentry business must not have been real good at that time, but they, weren't, they, they offered basically a pauper's offering, sacrifice, for the purification that now Mary had to go through. And it's, it's all written down in Leviticus chapter 12. You can go and investigate it yourselves. But if, you know, b- back in Exodus, because of the way he brought them out of Egypt and, you know, the, with the firstborn, that last plague all being killed, God said, now all the firstborn are mine. Now then it came that you could buy the firstborn back because eventually he put the, the Levites in charge of the priestly, you know, function of everything for Israel. But at that time, it was every firstborn was to take up that role of being priest of the family. So now he's saying, make this offering. Basically, he's called, he's holy unto me, and you need to go through this process of, of showing that buying him back, kind of, you know, to, to raise him, and that, but yet he's still mine and holy. So she went through her purification, which was 33 days, plus the eight days before he was circumcised, Right? So we're talking 40 days for a male. Now, if you're a female, it was 80 days you had to go through. That's just because girls are a little harder. I'm just saying, okay? And, and, and so they named him Jesus, which is a Greek. That's how we would say it. Or Yahshua, Yeshua, short kind of slang way is Joshua, was Jesus' name. Very common. Because everybody in Israel was kind of hoping they'd get some of that messianic feed into their family, right? But he is Yahshua, which means God is salvation. Messiah is born, right? And again, obviously poor, not a prosperity doctrine, king's kid who gets to drive the Cadillac chariot around town. He is into a pauper's family. Now, again, I just want to throw these things out there so we're not confused because, Pastor Steve, you know if you set up the manger scene here at Salem, you put the three wise men there at the baby's feet, he will move them, usually over here somewhere, and leave that, you know, because it's not biblical that the wise men come at this time. They come a couple years later when he's older. Thank you. <laughs> right? And finally I get an amen while I'm teaching. I love that. And... Uh, because we know that because of Herod's proclamation to go and kill all the babies, all the male children that were two and a half and under. So we already know that by the time they showed up, Herod already had figured that kid's probably going to be a couple of years old. Go and kill all the children, right? And so to protect Jesus, they took him, Joseph, warned in a dream, because God's now dealing with dad, right? Take him to Egypt. So they went to Egypt for a couple of years and then brought him back. So that just kind of the whole Christmas story in a little, little chasm right there, a little thing. But anyway, that's what's all happening here. This is where, and I want to point this out because last week we celebrated, this is where we get the idea of dedicating children to the Lord. We don't baptize children. We don't. We, Selah, our fellowship, and, and a lot of other non-denominational churches don't because uh, we don't see in Scripture that infants are ever baptized. Baptism always follows conversion profession of faith. Well, obviously, an infant can't profess what they believe, and you never could explain to one why they were being baptized anyway. But we do see that infants, as Jesus was, were dedicated to the Lord. And we understood it, as Pastor Mike explained it so well last week, that it's for the parents. I mean, obviously, we can pray for the child, and those prayers are powerful, and they will be effective in that child's life. But we're really praying for mom and dad. Train him up in the way that he should go. Her up, him up right? And, and walk in the ways of the Lord. And we as a fellowship, we're going to help you do that. So that's all what this part of this is all about, right? But again, the Holy Spirit leading this, and, and now we see it even again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's a word of knowledge, right? God's Holy Spirit has delivered to this guy a word of knowledge. That is still a gifting today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's available to us as God would will it, as the Holy Spirit would see fit into your life. But again, what do you do with the information? How do you share it? Who do you share it? When do you share it? Or don't you share it? Do you ponder and connect dots? That's what you ask the Lord. He'll tell you, right? So he came by the Holy Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said, I just like that picture, right? I mean, this parent, I, you know, we had all these, these new people coming today with babies and stuff. I love this. But can you imagine if I wanted to take your kids? Yeah, I'll take that kid right now. Just give it, you'd be like, okay, stand back, creeper. Because, right? But God had ordained this by the Holy Spirit, bringing him to the temple this day, this moment, after speaking to him this truth. God's weaving all this together. So he blesses them, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. Again, all of us are included in this. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. There's our salvation. And the glory of your people, Israel. He came for the glory. He, that's why God set Israel apart as a people to bring his Messiah through so the lineage could be proved. So the opportunity and the truth and the experience could be absolutely fulfilled. Jesus came to bring revelation to us, to fulfill salvation in conquering death, in conquering sin, but also fulfilling the law that reveals to all, us all that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It's, it, it, it's all God's plan. It's all God's picture. Note that, that Simeon was a devout man. And just, just means that he was morally right before God and devout means he was devoted to God. But again, led by the spirit. You're not here by accident this morning. You understand how many things could have stopped you from coming, from hearing this, from being here? You're here because God has brought us together, right? And he held on to this truth and waited, waited for this time. And he's an old guy. I don't know how old exactly, but you got to figure he's probably going, well, is this going to happen, God? Is this really going to? If God has said it, it will happen. Hold on to those words he gives you, to those promises, to truths that you know in your heart and you really think, gosh, I don't know. I really believe this about me, but it, it's taken so long. It's, it's, you know, Browning, we laugh because we've got this church that's just like so on fire and, and just so connected with us, but it's taken four years to get to that. You want to talk to Jan? It's taken almost 30 years for her to be able to walk in the calling that her parents walked in as they served on the mission field with the Navajo. God's timing, perfect. Every time. It's awesome. So he's, he's been waiting and, and, he, and he, he just prophesies because of this word of knowledge, you know who he is and, and who he is to us. And, and note that he does specifically say there in, in um, oops, I want to make sure I'm in the right chapter here. In verse 33, that and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Joseph and his mother, not his father and his mother, but Joseph and his mother. Because who's his father? God Almighty. Right? So just these little clues that are in there that help us to understand the understanding that they were working in, right? Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mothers can't imagine having to watch your child go through what Mary had to watch Jesus go through. Her babe her son, right? That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What will you do with Jesus this morning? As he's being revealed, as we're going through the scriptures, as you're learning truths, maybe hearing things you've never heard before, but can be all backed up by scripture, what do you do with that truth? It reveals your heart. 
who he really is to you, whose heart, who your heart belongs to. These are all things that we all need to consider all the time. It's going to reveal that, right? Now, there was one Anna also, right? A prophetess. Yes, women can be prophetesses. Absolutely. God speaks, right? The daughter of Fenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Anna's just a, a, a great witness. Like she's somebody so noble and so great to follow. Here's a woman, 84 years she's been widowed since her virginity. They don't... like. You know, people have tried to like do the math and everything. She was anywhere from their guessing 105 to 113. Now we just put to rest a 102 year old. So let me tell you, walking all the way to the end of the life that you have, being a testimony to God and what He's done for you in you and wants to still do through you at 102 is an amazing thing to watch and witness. And I've gotten that privilege. Now she's still walking around the temple, not even going home but giving her life devoutly over to the Lord. And again, gets the chance to come in and proclaim that redemption is here. This is the Messiah. And how does this stir you up and, and make you think about your life, my life, and the testimony we are, and how we see these providences of God? I just see in, in her example here that Anna was who she was because she was prepared. She served, she fasted, and she prayed, which says to me that she kept moving, she kept connected, and she kept listening to what the Spirit was saying to her. She didn't grow weary in doing good and kick back. All the way to the last day, she was going to make this thing happen. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. This is Joseph and Mary. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and grace of God, for God was upon him. So now this is, Luke is the only one that records any kind of like, and Jesus was an eight-year-old boy. You know, Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. Jesus was a teenager. You know, the, the kind of the hidden years. But being the doctor that he is and the recorder of truths and details, he's going to give us some of that. So we have a little bit of insight because it really is incredible how this chapter ends out. His parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, so again, we got some time spans here now since he's been born, right? It's been some time. They went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went... In the, in the, what it means by that is, you know, people would travel in those days, they went in caravans. Like, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. Anybody want to go? Yeah, let's, anybody want to go to Browning? Let's go together. We, we drive, to, you know, it's that kind of a safety thing. You know, you want to make sure that nobody breaks down in the past, kind of a thing. So they did the same thing. And so Joseph... And Mary were just like, I'm sure Jesus is back there in the back, you know, the back caravan. You know, he's back at the back camel or something. But supposing him to have been with the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among the relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. And they just keep that in mind, three days, right? Three days. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished for his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father. Now, again, that's not a contradiction. Obviously, Joseph was the only father figure that Jesus had interaction with on earth. So it's just like Carl, you know, we have a son that isn't our son biologically, but he calls me dad when he, all the time, you know, when when he's joking with me, he calls me pop and he wants to try and dig at me, he calls me the old man. All right. That's, that's Carl. Anyway, for I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, 
Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Here's a 12-year-old kid that already knows that for three days he's been about his father's business. When Jesus went into that tomb and three days later came out, he'd been nothing but about his father's business for you and I. And in fact, today, as he rose to the heavens, ascended, right, and sits upon the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us daily. It says he's always making intercession for us in Hebrews. He's still doing the Father's business for us. What does this say to us, right? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So, Still a little bit of confusion. What do you mean you're about your father's business? They knew truth. Mary had connected dots, but not all the dots were connected. They were keeping in their hearts. Okay, Gabriel came and said this, but now this is a 12-year-old kid. We, he's every bit a 12-year-old without sin. That one I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. <laughs> but he was without sin. So somewhere in there, Love covers a multitude, and God knows it. It's, I can't wait to watch that video when we get to heaven because I'm just really fascinated by that. A whole life of sinlessness, yet growing up in flesh from babe to doesn't start his ministry till he's in his 30s. What does that look like? This is what, and so we conclude, and this is the really mind blowing thing. Then Jesus, knowing that he was about his capital F Father's business, God Almighty, he went down with them, Mary and Joseph came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, God of the universe, God the Son, submitted to, put himself under the authority of an earthly mother and an earthly father even though he knew who his heavenly father was and that he was about his business all the time. How is that possible? I mean, how did that just not get bizarre? Like Mary's, you know, like, no, Jesus, don't touch that. That's not good for you. Like, I don't know. I mean, you just like, how would he interact with them? How could they tell him anything? He knew all things. You know, you know, no, Jesus, that's not the truth. And he's like, okay, mom, we know, right? Come on. You know, I mean, there'd be no, you couldn't game play at all, you know? But somehow he put himself under that subjection another 18 years until he was 30. And then went out from them. Man, how could he? Why would he? Because of what it says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that you may be well, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Jesus submitted because God said to submit his heavenly father. He walked in obedience to the word. He didn't argue it. He didn't put in for exemption. He didn't say, come on, really? Because submission had nothing to do with intelligence or adequacies. It had to do with following what God's word has said. And that's what I want to really leave you with today. Because again, Jesus, at the end of this, he continued to grow, right? In, 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 he increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Again, growing in the things of the spirit. All of us need to be seeking, doing, and going forward while submitting to the authorities that God puts over us And he does, he does, that is is true freedom, right? Is walking in the will of God. Whether it makes sense to us, as it didn't when all of a sudden Joseph's going, look, I know you're any second now, but we got to get on a camel and go, or we got to get on a donkey and, you know, 90 miles. And Mary would have, this makes no sense. You're, You're nuts. She submitted, she went, because the Lord had said, that Simeon who knew by the spirit what was coming and how it was going to come, but never knew when. And when he saw it, he, was rec- he recognized that Anna was prepared, right? And then Jesus being obedient as a son to submit to earthly parents because God says so. 
Holy Spirit is leading us today, what is he asking of you that's maybe inconvenient, uncomfortable, unknown, or not time yet, but your heart knows that you know that you know? Don't grow weary. Keep growing up. Let him mature you, but be looking for the dots to connect. Ponder those things. Pray about those things. Talk to him about those things that when the moment comes, as this did, you are ready with haste like the shepherds to act. Father, thank you for joining us as we studied the word this morning. If you would like more information about Selah Fellowship, please visit us on the web at selahfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.